from the number one convention, sports, and entertainment destination in the world. I'm your host, Parker Hendricks, and this is The AuthorCast. Welcome back to The AuthorCast. We have a special episode for you today. On Wednesday, November 10th, 2021, the Georgia World Congress Center Authority will host a special ceremony in Centennial Olympic Park recognizing law enforcement and Richard Jewell for their bravery, vigilance, and commitment to protecting the public in the early morning hours of July 27th, 1996. As part of this event, a new feature will be dedicated to Richard Jewell. As you may recall, Richard Jewell worked as a security guard during the 1996 Atlanta Olympic Games. He discovered a backpack containing three pipe bombs and was instrumental in helping to clear people from areas inside the park before the backpack exploded. Initially hailed as a hero, Jewell soon became the focus of an FBI investigation that lasted 88 days and faced intense media scrutiny before he was eventually exonerated. Joining me today to discuss Richard Jewell is Kent Alexander, former United States Attorney for the Northern District of Georgia, and the co-author, along with Kevin Salwin, of The Suspect, an Olympic bombing, the FBI, and Richard Jewell, the man caught in the middle. As always, thank you for listening and supporting the AuthorCast. All episodes are currently available on gwcca.org backslash the AuthorCast, and the newest episodes can also be found on Apple and Spotify. And now, my interview with Kent Alexander. I am pleased to be joined today by Kent Alexander, the former United States Attorney for the Northern District of Georgia and co-author with Kevin Salwin of The Suspect, an Olympic bombing, the FBI, and Richard Jewell, the man caught in the middle. Mr. Alexander, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the Thorcast. So one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on was we are on, on Wednesday of this week. We're recording on Monday. Our listeners will probably hear this after uh, the dedication happens, but we're dedicating a memorial to Richard Jewell in Centennial Olympic Park, of course, which was the site of the bombing during the Olympic Games. And you will be speaking, uh, given the dedication of Richard during that. What are your thoughts, um, you know, on, on, on this dedication happening and, and you know, what, what you plan on saying? I think the dedication is absolutely wonderful and a long time in coming. Uh, the fact that the Georgia World Congress Center is doing this is just a, a credit to all the Olympics uh, and the, the history of it. Uh, with Richard Jewell, he was a hero of the Olympics, but for him, there would have been just untold numbers of people dying on July 27, 1996, when this bomb exploded in the middle of Centennial Park. There were 50,000 people there, but for him spotting this uh, military pack called an Alice pack with the largest bomb of its kind in ATF or, ATF history, ATF or FBI history inside, uh, the damage just would have been uh, incalculable. So, uh, because he had ended up as the FBI's number one suspect and his name was all over the world as the, as the possible bomber, probable bomber, there's still people today who think this guy was yeah. the bomber instead of the hero. So my thoughts uh, in a nutshell are, I think the day's a long time in coming. Richard Jewell's a hero and when his name is finally etched in stone in Centennial Park, where he saved so many lives, that will be a day to remember, and uh, his heroics will be remembered always after that. And I don't want 
don't want to ask you to, to speak, you know, put words in, in the family's mouth, but how do you think Richard would perceive this, you know, finally happening 25 years later? Uh, I've got to think that Richard would have loved this. Yeah. He probably would have been humble and said there were a lot of first responders there who saved a lot of lives that day, and, and that's true. He said that during life. I, if you were alive now, I think he'd say it. But the fact is that he's the guy who spotted the bomb, and I think every first responder who was there would credit him with that. But I know that his, uh, I think that his mother's going to be there, Bobby. His wife, Dana, I think will be there. And the two of them, with whom I spoke often, along with my co-author, Kevin Salwin, uh, have to view this as a day that will be one of the highlights of their lives as well. So let's go back to 1996 a little bit. You were U.S. attorney for the for the public who don't really understand how, and myself included, and during an investigation like this, what was your role during that time? Well, the U.S. attorney technically is called the chief federal law enforcement officer of the district, okay. and this is the northern district of Georgia is the northern third of the state. In practice, you're the lead prosecutor, but you work closely with all the authorities. And usually it's federal, but when it came to the Olympics, there was the GBI, the Georgia State Patrol, there's the, as well as the FBI, ATF, and others, and the Atlanta Police Department. So the role of the U.S. attorney, in, who's presidentially appointed, by the way, in, in that case, instance, is to work with authorities when they're investigating a tragedy uh, like this was and trying to figure out who did it. Because at the end of the day, you and your office will be responsible for prosecuting the bomber. So my responsibility once the bomb went off, along with others in the office, included uh, the current Georgia State Supreme Court Justice Dave Namius, the former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates, who are both assistant U.S. attorneys, and others, we were working with the FBI, with the GBI, and with others to find the bomber. So within that 88-day process between Richard getting exonerating, you know, you get the files and then, and then I guess they start building a case. Is that, is that correct or how that goes? And then he met, he met a profile. Um, sure, that's how it goes with building a case. What happened at the start was he was viewed as the hero. Richard yeah. Jewell was the hero, interviewed by all sorts of people, including Katie Couric on the Today Show. Uh, there were calls started coming in saying that this guy had done some suspicious things. Mm -hmm. And then people started asking, why did he happen to spot the bomb? And why did he happen to be on the side of the tower, outside of the blast, and a lot of other things. And he said some quirky things. So he suddenly went from being the hero to a possible suspect, the key uh, development, not here in Atlanta, but up in Quantico, Virginia, was the behavioral science unit, though it was called something else at the time, uh, kind of the Silence of the Lambs group. They came up with a profile yeah. of a bomber, but it wasn't a generic profile. This profile all but said Richard Jewell was the bomber. Based on that and a lot of circumstantial evidence, he became the lead suspect, the primary suspect in the Olympic bombing. So I know that you ended up writing the letter that exonerated Richard. What had it just became evident that he wasn't involved or, you know, I, what can you say to that? Well, to your earlier question, he became a suspect. Then the investigation keeps going. Gotcha. As the investigation keeps going, 
there are reports that come in from the investigation. In this case, the FBI led it, though there were lots of agencies involved. All the reports that came in of interviews are called 302s. It's a form 302. But So you read these reports. Everybody who's interviewed has a written report about the interview. There were hundreds and hundreds of these. Along with my staff, we kept reading all of them. The more we read the reports, the less it seemed like this was the guy. So over time, uh, it just seemed like Richard was, in fact, the hero and not the bomber. Even when I wrote this letter, which was the 88 days later, as you said, October 26, 1996, there were still a lot of people in law enforcement who thought he might, might have done it or he was complicit, though I think most thought otherwise by then. But the, the letter really ended this, his uh, identification as the, the main suspect. It was yeah. called a non-target letter. It's a technical letter, but essentially it ended up being a clearance. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I read that, uh, I guess when Eric Rudolph was arraigned or had his trial, you Richard Jewell was there and you met him at that time. Was that the first time you had met him? I had met Richard before uh, Eric Rudolph's guilty plea. Um, in fact, the first time I met him was the morning of the bombing. Okay. I ended up going to Centennial Olympic Park pre-dawn. There I saw Richard Jewell along with Tom Davis, another hero from the day mm-hmm. with the GBI. Uh, I ended up shaking both their hands. And I remember specifically shaking Richard's hand and telling him, thank you. So I met him that day and then had contact with him through his attorneys during the whole process. I ran into him one time at a, a, at a, a Target. Actually, it was called Richway. Uh, and uh, so I, I met him a few times, but we didn't know each other well. But the last time I saw him was in 2005 when Eric Rudolph pled guilty at the federal courthouse, the Richard Russell building. Just down the street. Just down here. the street from where we are. Uh, he was there with his wife. They came in. There was still a gaggle of media around wanting to interview him because his name was just a a name everybody knew. Mm -hmm. Uh, He just wanted to be there to see uh, the real bomber plead guilty and say he did it because until that happened, he felt there were still people who would think Richard Jewell was the bomber. Yeah. It's an incredible story, and and it it goes into, I guess, your decision to, to write the book. I, I, uh, from what I understand or what I imagine is you probably had books and books of notes and case files and stuff that the public could ever, could never see. What made you decide to sit down and document all of this? I decided I would one day write a book uh, a week after the, the clearance letter. So this yeah. is back in November of 1996. I went to a conference just to really sit on the back bench and decompress. I don't even know what the conference is about. I just wanted to get out of town. So I had my laptop and I started writing and writing and writing. I realized at that moment that someday, I figured it wouldn't be any time soon, but someday when I was uh, really old, kind of like I am now, (laughs) I'm 63, uh, I I would write a book. I I wrote it a little sooner than I I expected, but uh, because I teamed with Kevin Salwin and we decided it'd be, it was a story worth telling. But I had a lot of lot of notes, a lot of files. I had a lot of inside information, yeah. I guess you'd say. But it wasn't until we started researching the book that I found out how much more there was. Uh, Richard Jewell's attorneys, all four of them, gave shared everything they knew, including all their files mm-hmm. with us. Uh, the FBI agent, who was the lead interview of Richard Jewell, named Don Johnson, 
uh, their family gave us all of Don Johnson's files, and he was a pack rat, and he's no longer alive. Uh, Kathy Scruggs, the FBI, the uh, AJC reporter who broke the story, we got a lot of her her files, and I, I suppose, mo- or in her articles, of course. Most importantly, uh, Dana Jewell, Richard's wife, who had all of his earthly possessions, including thousands and thousands of photographs of his life. He was a photo hog, as she called him. Uh, all of his notes he had taken on things, mm-hmm. calendars. We're talking over a dozen file boxes of information. So we had essentially a small warehouse, and we spent literally years going through it, trying to piece together the story and what really happened, how his name leaked out, who was responsible, and, uh, and just what this really all meant historically. Were you surprised the people's willingness to share things with you or to provide, you know, I guess you got information from both sides of the story. Well, I I was certainly pleased and I suppose a little surprised too. It turns out that, uh, you know, Kevin and I, my co-author and I were pretty well positioned to speak with people. He was former Wall Street Journal editor. So we had the media cred. Uh, I was former prosecutor. So I knew a lot of the people in law enforcement. The bridge that turned out to be particularly helpful was, um, I, I think the fact that I had written the clearance letter. So when it came to Richard Jewell's friends, his family, his legal team, uh, I wasn't viewed as somebody who had unfairly tarnished him. Though mm-hmm. I, I was, I was right there in the whole investigative stage and all of that. But at the end of the day, I think uh, there was some gratitude for the letter having been written, and it wasn't any heroic act on my my end. Yeah. It was just a letter that should have been written. But I think the combination of the media connection, the law enforcement connection, and the connection to all of Richard Jewell's friends, families, and attorney uh, made for a pretty complete uh, you know, resource and library to go into writing the book. So the the book has been out two years now. Is that correct? Almost two Almost years. Almost two years. What is the you know two year looking back two years and 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 uh, kind of what has been the feedback and and things that you've heard people talk about. Well, the most gratifying feedback have come from uh, people who knew Richard the best and knew the story the best. So uh, his his wife, Dana, I, I, I know from things she's told us and said publicly, really likes the story because she feels like you read the book and you know who Richard mm-hmm. is. Uh, there are a lot of people in the FBI, though it was, this wasn't the FBI's proudest moment, yeah. uh, who read the book and and we're pleased the FBI story was told with the media, with the AJC, which took some lumps over writing the front page story that Richard Jewell was a suspect, which by the way, he was. So that mm-hmm. was true. Uh, I think, uh, I think editors and others over there felt like their side of the story was told. So the feedback most, most important to me is from the people whose story we told. And I, most of them feel like it was told fairly and, uh, seemed they seem to like the way they read too. Also, one of the things that, uh, just from a readership standpoint, you know, we've been very uh, fortunate to have really good, nice reviews on Amazon.com and Audible and Goodreads yeah. and all that. So the the critical feedback's been good. So that's good. And I imagine that when you had the relationship to the store that you have and decide to write a book. I- I guess the main goal is wanting to tell a fair and accurate story as many on as many sides as possible, and it seems like you you were able to accomplish that. Yes, exactly. We wanted to tell the story from 
the angle of the media, from the angle of Richard Jewell, and the angle of law enforcement. And we had three main characters doing that, as well as continuing the story about the real bomber, yeah. Eric Rudolph, and why he did what he did. He bombed three more times. So that's uh, that was that was the goal. But the part of the goal also is to write it in a way that didn't read like a history book yeah. or an encyclopedia. So there's this writing form called narrative nonfiction. There's books like uh, Devil in the White City, Boy, uh, Boys in the Boat, Sea Biscuit, things like that, where it's nonfiction, but it reads like a novel. Mm -hmm. And the characters in this whole story, you just can't make them up. Yeah. It, it is like a novel. So one of the reasons we spent five years on this you know, researching and writing is we wanted to have what people actually said, and we wanted to have things that nobody could believe would happen. And yeah. to do that, but they did happen. You really needed to source it. So were we to have put footnotes in the book, which we had for the uh, draft, for the manuscript, there would have been over 2,000 footnotes, but nobody wants to see a boatload of footnotes, and it also takes away of the read like a novel. So yeah. uh, that, so all in all, it was a really good experience. So with the with the Jewel case and, and what came after that, do you think you know lessons were learned? things that are for the better because of what happened? Or are we still seeing some of the issues that Richard ran into uh, 25 years ago? Well, I think lessons were learned, though we st still are seeing some of the issues. If you go back in time to 1996, it was this crucible year where media just changed and sped up like nobody mm -hmm. ever seen. So CNN was already in place and based in Atlanta, of course. You had MSNBC went on air just a few days before the Olympics. Fox News went on air that year. The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, I think even the AJC, went online for the first time. Mm -hmm. Then during the Olympics, you had 15,000 media folks in. You had uh, CNN covering it wall to wall. You had NBC as the major sponsor. So you basically had like this Petri dish for a viral news story before there was such thing as a viral news story. And this was very much a viral news story. So then the question becomes, well, Okay, so you have this viral news story. This guy gets tarnished unfairly. What did we learn from it? Or what have the changes been? One change that people don't re realize is this term uh, person of interest that you hear all the time now. Mm -hmm. It was used occasionally before the Olympics, but it was really Richard Jewell's experience that catapulted that. So instead of people calling, saying he's the suspect, which is the name of our book, suddenly it became a person of interest. Uh, there were changes in law enforcement with the FBI uh, related to this case and others where if somebody had something bad in their background, an agent, and they came to a new office, that file follows them. And mm -hmm. they, you don't necessarily just get to parachute in and start your career new. So I think that was, that was pretty helpful. Uh, with, um, I think with reading with Miranda rights and when Miranda rights should be read, there were some policy changes as a result of Richard Jewell because his rights were read in a manner that was really a ruse. Was, they, they pretended like uh, it was a first responder training tape yeah. and said, we're going to even go so far as to read your rights. I don't think that happens anymore at all. And I think that the, uh, the, in the media, the main thing probably is that really hasn't changed enough, but at least changes some people will step back a little bit to make sure they've got it right. And again, with social media, it makes it very difficult and all, but it's sort of like, remember the Alamo, it's remember Richard Jewell. One of the things I like about what the state of Georgia is doing, the World Congress Center, 
in really telling this story in a monument form in Centennial Olympic Park, it's people will say, you know, so who is Richard Jewell? And the more that story is told in law enforcement and the more it's told in the media, I think the more lessons can be learned from it. I agree with you, and I'm, I'm glad that it's finally happening. I, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Um, is there? I know you mentioned it in the, in the first part of the interview about what Richard would think about this, but if there's anything you want to close about him or you know the monument, take it away. Well, I'm sorry, as I know Richard Jewell's family is and his friends are, that he's not here to see this. Uh, he went through... Uh, some some people called 88 days of hell. He went, he did go through hell when he was the prime suspect here. When in fact he was the hero. Uh, I've got to think if Richard Jewell is here today, this would truly be one of the happiest days of his life. I know it'll be a tremendously proud days for, for his mother and his widow. Uh, and personally uh, for me, it, I feel like Richard Jewell is finally getting the due that he's, been deserved he's had deserved for over 25 years and uh you know hats off to the state of georgia for doing it thank you kent all right 